You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 205 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm back reunited with Alison Tate. You're back. I'm back. (laughs) Did I sound like Dean? I'm practicing my, I've been practicing my Dean voice all week. Hello, Val. I'm back. No, not quite. (laughs) Not quite. So you've survived the school holidays. What did you get up to? (sighs) What did I get up to? Um, Well, I I went to Canberra. Hello to all the Canberra people. (laughs) Um, I took the boys to Canberra. We went and did some Questacon and we rode around the lake and we, oh, go-karts. The boys did some go-kart driving as you do. I know. I watched. I was like, yeah, no. And um, then I'll just—I'll be over here reading my book if you want me. Um, yeah, so we did all that, and I went and signed some books, which was very fun. At um, yeah, I signed some books at Paper Chain in Monaco, and I signed, signed some books at QBD Books in um, Canberra Centre. It was all very glamorous. Like, really, my my writing life is so glam, isn't it? Really. Do you know, for a while, um, I thought that Monaco Honey came from Canberra. Well, no. Isn't that Manuka? <laughs> Don't you say that Manuka, honey? Yeah, probably. I just I for, for a short while there, I actually thought. I know. Oh, well, I had, this, I had this whole conversation with Book Boy. We were walking around the Manuka shops, you know, drinking coffee as you do, I think, there. And uh, he was like, I think it could should be called Manuka because, you know, it's got the U. And I'm saying, and I said, yeah, but, you know, the short ah sound is also. And he goes, yeah, no, it's not making any sense, Mom. These Oof. are the kinds of conversations that. In fill my days these now. It's like that that uh, suburb Pran in Melbourne. It's Pran, but everyone like everyone who's not from Melbourne says Pran because that's well. What I want to say Pran. It looks like mm. Pran to me. It's got the R sound in it. Uh, A H. Pran. And a Pran. <laughs> everyone used to laugh at me when I was calling it Pran when I was living there. Well, I just wonder because we've been watching, you know, and apologies to our international um, listeners here, but I, I, I'm having a moment. We've been mm-hmm. um, watching The Block, right, uh, which is obviously <laughs> Melbourne, Melbourne, because they say Melbourne as well. I like know. The, That's so weird, isn't it's it? A, isn't it Victorian? And they also, and this is the one that gets me, is elegant. And I think we've discussed oh. elegant <laughs> in the past, but everything's simple and elegant. And I, it's, isn't it, I, I, I find... Um, you know that that sort of pronunciation variation and or that the accent variation, um, yes. really interesting. You know, we're all on the east coast of Australia, and yet yeah. there's just that slight subtle variation in the way that the That's accent right. kind of manifests itself. It's and it's they really say bedrooms. How many bedrooms are there? And what are your values? <laughs> <laughs> 
I have to say I hadn't noticed bedrooms, but I also I do have a we do have a bit of a moment with um we do like Grand Designs New Zealand and you know every time they put the dick on it's really <laughs> we're so childish we're so childish we're just gonna go and stand on the dick and we go the builder and I are both like <laughs> ten. Ten, well, point. your your standing last week, Dean, of course, is from New Zealand, and I said to him yesterday, "Oh, so, you know, what do you do on the weekend?" He, I painted my deck. <laughs> painted my deck. Did he paint? It? Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Oh he painted it twice. <laughs> See, now look at us, Val. Here we are. We're ten. Look at us. You're really, we're, we're so ten. I think right, deep in should... our hearts, we're all ten forever. Ten. We should actually be loving, you know, those fart books and those bum books and stuff like that. Uh, well, let's just take a moment to consider that because um, because Australia does love them. Um, I yes. don't know if you saw the books and publishing bookseller and publishing. They um, put out the Think Australian report this week um, and it was all about sort of it, it goes to Franklin Book Fair and it's mm. basically the state of Australian publishing and what's going really well and it's really interesting read and I have actually put a link to that in the podcast uh, community Facebook group um, mm. but I'll put it also on in the show notes because I think it's really important to have a look at the state of play and where things are up to on it on an annual basis and um it's really interesting because the sort of the adult fiction top sellers i think leanne moriarty has pretty much the top three um and then there's a whole range of others but the top 10 for children's mm. books and there are two things i want to say about this mm. um first of all they pretty much outsell everything else three to one if not more wow, wow. so the top the top seller uh, for the children's books was uh, a treehouse book, the Andy Griffiths mm. phenomenon, um, and Terry Denton. Um, so it, basically, I think they pretty much had the treehouse books took up about six spots in the top ten, um, approximately. Uh, and the, the number one seller was about three hundred twenty eight thousand or something. Like, and I am seriously like making this up because I don't have it in front of me. Um, whereas the top seller for adult fiction was uh, Leanne Moriarty with about around the hundred and thirty five hundred and forty mark, um, and the top seller for YA was around six thousand. So mm. for and that's Australian YA. Um, mm. So I, it, it's a there's a very interesting you know, narrative at play there if you want to sort of look at, you know, um, so the top ten of the children's books were pretty much all of those kinds of, you know, uh, very fun books aimed at about eight-year-olds, very uh, graphic heavy, illustration heavy, um, funny, farts, bums, you know, all of that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff, which, of course, we love when we're eight and clearly (laughs) you and I still love when we're not eight anymore. (laughs) Um, and pretty much the top 10 was that, and wow. they were phenomenal sales for the children's books. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's like, there's a definite disconnect of, to where our Australian children are then graduating as far as, you know, their YA reading goes, because yeah. I think, I think if you actually looked at the top 10 sellers, not just, you know, Australian sellers, it would be all, uh, US or, you know, UK. Yeah. Mm, wow. So interesting. 
Really interesting. Yeah, and at that link will uh, be in the show notes, but it's also in our podcast Facebook group. So mm. big shout out to everyone in the podcast Facebook group. You haven't, if you haven't yet joined, it's an awesome listener community, and we'd love to have you in there. Just go to Facebook and search for "So You Want to Be a Writer" podcast community, and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's such an awesome group of people who um, are at all different stages and uh, of, of writing and and different with different writing goals and different walks of life. It's just a great community. And in that podcast community, big shout out to Michelle Baraclough, who's also a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre, for making it to the shortlist of the 2017 Rochelle Prize. Well done. Cheering. We will be barracking for you, Michelle, for we sure. Most for definitely. Sure. And the other thing we need to woohoo about is – Al, you've got big news this week. I do have big news this week, but just before I go there oh, with my yeah. big news this week, I've got another mm-hmm. shout out to a to a member of the podcast community, um, okay. of the Facebook group, and I I, I really apologise because I am not entirely certain how to pronounce uh, Jenna's last name, um, but Jenna, I would say Guiam, and I'm not entirely sure if that is correct. Um, who is a Could member Guillaume, of our, like the rest? It could be. And you know what, Jenna, please tell me um, if I got it wrong. I would really like to know. Um, But podcast member, Facebook group member Jenna has signed a two-book deal with Pan Macmillan. Um, Yes. And uh, that is extremely exciting. And I am going to put the link to that announcement in the show notes as well because I love seeing members of our community, you know, Yes, and it's for a YA book, isn't it? It is a YA YA book, book. and so I feel like it's going to go, you know, like this this could be next year's number one. Yes, and in fact, Jenna is also a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre and she did, you know, writing books for children and young adults and it's so awesome to Mm. see um, what's come out of that and we can't wait to support you big time when your book Uh, comes out next year. It's fantastic. Be so much cheering, yeah, absolutely. Val. So much. And speaking cheering. of cheering, let's talk about my news now. Let's yes, bring attention yes, all yes. onto me, Val. All Are you ready? You. So yes. I'm very excited because I got an email uh, just yesterday from my US publisher, and uh, the Mapmaker Chronicles number one, Race to the End of the World, is having a second printing in the US. So it's been Yay. out there for about three months or so, three or four months, and it's having a second printing, and I can't begin to tell you how exciting that is for me. That is so crazy. So thank exciting. you so much to everyone in the US who has um, who has bought the book, all the books, and um, if you haven't yet bought them, I mean, clearly we're <laughs> on to a winner here, so you should race out and get them immediately, and I will put the link in the show notes to where you can um, buy those books. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Very exciting. Congratulations, Al. So many show notes, Val. I'm on fire. I know. Let's move on then to the world of writing and publishing this week. And the first link is actually from Writer's Digest and it's called When to Search for a Literary Agent by Chris Mm -hmm. Fries. And this is an interesting one because um, what's useful, I think, about this post, and we'll put this link in the show notes, which, of course, you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au, is they he, – he, he or she, no, sorry, she, he, <laughs> he um, notes down when you require an agent and when you don't. And 
Typically, you do require an agent in America anyway for novels, memoirs, and nonfiction books. In Australia, it's a you know you can go either way with novels, memoirs, or fiction or nonfiction books. You can certainly um, get the book deals without an agent, or you can get one with an agent. But what's useful about this post is what he writes down as what you need to include at, at, in preparation for um, asking a literary agent whether they want to represent you. Now. For a novel, he says it's a query letter, obviously, a synopsis and a completed manuscript because they want to read that you can, you know, write the whole thing. Uh. For a memoir, it is a query letter, a synopsis, a book proposal with sample chapters, and then he says a completed manuscript. So I would say it's either or. So you either Uh. do a book proposal with sample chapters, like at least three sample chapters, and they're providing their, you know, meaty chapters. We're not talking about 500-word chapters here. Uh, and a completed manuscript. The difference with a nonfiction book, now I know memoir is nonfiction, but memoir is in a class of its own. Uh, but a nonfiction book, you know, like a cookbook or a how-to book or a, a book on, you know, uh, your area of expertise or something, you need a book proposal with sample chapters. You don't need to write the whole thing before you send it to an, an agent. So because um, some people think that it's a blanket situation all around where it's okay, that where you need to provide the uh, entire manuscript, but you don't actually need to provide the entire manuscript in some genres like memoir and nonfiction book. No, that's true. But I also would say I've got a caveat on that, if that's yes. all right. I'm going to throw a bit of Latin in there for you. Um, <laughs> very bad, very bad Latin. Um if you haven't written an entire nonfiction book before or if you haven't written an entire memoir before, I would suggest that you at least draft the whole thing out, even even a first draft, to make sure you can get to the end because yeah. you do not want to be in a situation where you've signed a contract and, you know, accepted an advance and gone and spent it on mint slice biscuits and, <laughs> you know, champagne, which some people mint might do. Mint slice biscuits. I'm obsessed Why with that. Why would you pick that? Because that's what that's I'm obsessed with mid slice biscuits. I have I have been obsessed with them since I was breastfeeding my oldest son. I I got one of those cravings, and I've it's never left me. Are you He's like serious? nearly fourteen now, and I still have this like obsession with mid slice biscuits. Oh Anywho. Forget the mid-sized biscuits, but yeah. So if you if you want to write a memoir and you and you and and you know you you can write your query letter and your synopsis and your proposal and all of that sort of stuff, but write the whole manuscript before you send those things off because at least a draft it doesn't have to be polished and whatever, but you need to know that you can get to the end. And I'm telling you that a deadline makes everything harder. So you know mm. if you're writing to a deadline, the pressure of that. Oh, you can't cool. underestimate it. Even if it's six months away, even if it's 12 mm. months away, it still adds a whole frisson of stress oh. that you don't need. So stress. make sure you can finish before you yeah. actually, you know, send it off. Make sure you know. Yeah. If you've done one before, that's cool because you know you can do it. But if this is your first one, write it first. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's and move on to celebrate with a mint slice biscuit. With mint slice and champagne, yes. And I, champagne. Do you have them together? No, that would be bad. Yeah, <laughs> that, that would be really would be bad. so bad. <laughs> but I would also, can I just say, Val, that that was actually a guest post written by Wendy Lynn Harris, who is female. So you were right to be her from oh. the start. Okay. Oops, sorry. Right. Okay, okay, we know now. 
Yes. So now we are moving on to a post that is on a blog called Live Right Thrive, and it's called World Building Through Your Character's Eyes. And I thought that this was useful because sometimes we think of world building in terms of, you know, creating a map and creating um, some documentation on the various things that are happening in the world and and that sort of thing. But sometimes it's useful to put yourself into the shoes of particular characters and make sure you are world building in terms of how the character sees the world. So this post says someone who is very into fashion might note interesting outfits or horrible outfits, while a foodie might go into more depth about what they are eating or pay special attention to any restaurants they pass. And a character who tends to follow the rules is more likely to take note of a warning sign, while a more impetuous character might rush right past. Does your character notice tiny details or is it the sort of person who walks right into someone because his head is in the clouds and his nose is buried in a book. So I think it's important to not only do the macro view of your world building, but also for the main characters anyway, have a look at the world from their point of view. Get them to describe the world. Do they bother describing the little details because they notice such things or do they describe things in really broad brush strokes and like maybe get them to describe the same scene in a sense or the same part of the world and see the differences that might come out as a result of putting yourself in the character's shoes. Yes, mm. and so I think that's Absolutely. quite a worthwhile thing to do. Oh, so do I. And I have to say that the this particular website, liverightthrive.com, um, it's a website of the author C.S. Lakin, and it's a really, really good site. It's got it's full of terrific um, craft information. Like she's very, very into details and um, I, I really enjoy her posts and I often share them through the Writer Centre social media because they're really valuable posts. They're really useful posts. Um, and you know how much I do love a little bit of useful valuable action. Um, so I, yeah, and, and I, I think that this is actually a really great tip and it's something, um, so when I was writing, I I guess in some ways, um, I'm quite lucky, uh, with both of my series in that both of my protagonists, are people who are, so Quinn in the Mapmaker Chronicles leaves his home village and, you know, is out on this massive adventure to map the world. So he is seeing everything for the first time. Like all of everything Mm, he sees is new, which allows me a lot of play as far as, you know, descriptions and what he would notice and what he would not because, you know, and it also allows me, it allows me to build monsters um, in meaningful and, you know, practical ways because, you know, as I often talk about when I go to schools, um, anything's a monster if you don't know what it is. If you're not sure what you're dealing with, mm, any, yeah. anything can be a monster. So, um, you know, it's quite an interesting uh, – it's, it's a great – from a writer's perspective, it's a terrific way to actually um, approach – a world building in, in many ways. Um, so that's great. And also in the Book of Secrets in the Outerband Cipher series, you know, Gabe has been within a world that he knows incredibly well within within an abbey, within the monastery um, for a long time. And he, he knows every paving stone and every grass in blade and all of that sort of stuff. And then suddenly he's outside the walls and he doesn't mm. understand the world outside the walls. And he doesn't understand, I mean, you know, when you come from his background, good and bad are very obvious things. You know, he's been taught what is good, what is bad. And then he finds himself out in the real world where there's a lot of gray in what is good and what is bad. And, and, is doing something that is, um, you know, 
does the does the end justify the means? Are the reasons behind doing something enough to to make it okay? You know, he grapples with a lot of these questions because he it's his first exposure to this kind of stuff. Um, and the yeah. sorts of details that he notices when he goes places, you know, he notices the numbers of people. He notices the noise from um, pubs because he's not used to it. It's not what he does, yeah. you know. Um, so I think it's if you basically know your characters well and, and you understand your character's background well, then those sorts of details that she's talking about in this idea of building your world through your character's eyes, they come quite naturally because you are sort of living this adventure with your character. So you're going to see what your character sees. And I think um, I think it's a really good tip. Did you, I'm curious to know, Al, did you make a conscious decision to, let's take the Book of Secrets with Gabriel, um, a conscious, and this doesn't give anything away, of course, uh, does, did you make a conscious decision to start him off in a monastery so that he would have those experiences so that you could describe things in the, the, those ways? No, uh, no, not really. Um, I, I made a conscious, I, I wanted him, I, I needed him to be in contact with the book. Um, and yeah, for yeah. him to be in contact with the book, he pretty much needed to be in that environment because mm. in his world, in that world, um, which is sort of inspired by, uh, you know, Middle Ages, medieval times, the only people who came into contact with books were people who were, you know, in in those kinds of environments. Um, and I'm, I've always been quite fascinated by by that sort of environment and these these, you know, these monks who sat in abbeys and hand copied because that's mm. how books were done, hand-copied mm. books. You know, that's what they did all day, every day. And um, I've always been really interested because I, I do love those manuscripts. Like I, I just yeah. I think they're so beautiful, you know, and I, I'm mm. so admiring of the illustrations and things in them. So it was mm. more that wanting to kind of – it was the book. It was You know, it was all about the book. The, the, the whole adventure is about right. the book. Um, yeah. So to bring him into contact with that. But I was also interested, like I, I was reading – um, I have a terrific book called Growing Up in the Middle Ages that I actually uh, bought several years ago um, and it was almost – it's kind of like part of the broad research that I did uh, for um, – even for the Mapmaker Chronicles, you know, sort of like I was putting myself into historical things and mm. the whole notion of foundlings and, and people being mm. left on the steps of the church and children in monasteries, how they got to be there, the fact that many of them were actually, you know, handed over by their families because mm. you know, there was that notion that if you had one in there that you would probably get them all the direct route to heaven, um, mm. that sort of idea uh, really interested me as well and, and you know, this whole notion of being in that, uh, environment and, you know, accepting pretty much that that was your lot. If, if that's, mm. you know, and in many ways it was a, it was a better life than being on the outside where you were slaving away as a surf for the rest of your life. So yeah, it's a, you know, it's just, I guess you start to immerse yourself in different ideas and they, they come together, um, to help create a world. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to um, now. We've often heard about, especially in this day and age, people's 
mourn the death of some print magazines and um, people there, there's there's often people saying oh print is dead and whatever and I completely disagree I re- I really believe there's a being there's certainly been a rationalization in the publishing industry but I think that it's um, completely incorrect to say oh print is dead because what we're seeing also is that while there are some print magazines who have not been able to keep up with the times and therefore have closed there are some print magazines who are launching that are launching and uh you know there are some uh, independent presses that are launching remember when frankie was the new kid on the block and it's now an mm. uber, uber successful magazine the same goes for smith journal um and i was reading in mumbrella that uh the travel site luxury escapes is launching a new print magazine so i I believe there's certainly a place for both online and print. It's just completely short-sighted and incorrect to say print is dead. The things that are dead are the things that haven't kept up with the times and haven't evolved to um, meet what readers are expecting these days in terms of their offering. But, mm. yeah, with, with news like this, that um, Luxury Escapes is going to um, launch a new print magazine and the first issue will launch in November and be distributed fortnightly to 500,000 homes across Melbourne and Sydney. So, you know, gosh, <laughs> print isn't dead, <laughs> I don't think. Wow. It's just, it's well, just it's certainly changed. changed. Um, uh, yeah, changed. I, I think those big, broad, general interest magazines are the ones that have really struggled, whereas kind of it's or it's we've just noticed over the last even 10 years, just that niching has become a lot more obvious. There's a lot more people are looking for what they can't find, you know, just generally out there on online and stuff like that. And I think that it's a, it's a specialist niche area that they're interested in. And I think that they're looking for something that they can kind of um, immerse themselves in. I mean, the reason you get a magazine as opposed to just like scanning an article on um, online is that you want to be able to, you know, sit there and take some time to, to go through it or, I mean, you know, my husband loves them in Bath. We have magazine subscriptions specifically so that the builder can read them in the bath. That's it. It's the whole thing right there. <laughs> what do you subscribe to? What magazines do you subscribe to? Oh, our current subscriptions are House and Garden, which has been, you know, oh, he's a builder, mm. what can I say? Um, mm. And I used to work there years ago. I, I love, you know, keeping an eye. He's, he's always like cutting out. He cuts out pages, you know, just in case we want to do the kitchen one day, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we've currently got Mind Food. And we also, mm. oh, in saying that, I also subscribe to a couple for the boys because uh, they like Historic Cool. They like the CSIRO mm. Science Magazine for kids. Um, I'm being agitated for a, a subscription to New Scientist at the moment for um, my oldest son. He's quite keen on wow. its vibe. Yeah. So Not yeah, only like- is he going to be the next, you know, Dr. Carl, he's also going to be the next Stephen Romay and the next Justin Bieber. What a polymath you have. Pretty busy. <laughs> that's all I can say. He's a very, very busy boy. Um, but yeah, so that's his that's his current um, thing. So yeah, like it just depends on. I, I guess that's the thing with magazines. You subscribe to whatever's interesting people in your household at the time, don't you? And that's the joy yeah. of them. Mm. And if you are into magazines, really, subscriptions are way cheaper 
than buying them mm. at the newsstand. Oh, so definitely. If you're yeah. the sort that buys them every month anyway, just subscribe. You'll save like heaps, 40% yeah. and yeah. a lot. Mm. All right, let's move on to our competition this week. We have three copies of The Decision Book, the new and revised edition, (laughs) by Mikhail Krogeris and Roman Schlappeler to give away. Stylish and compact, this little black book is a powerful asset whether you need to plan a presentation, assess someone's business idea, pick a gift or get to know yourself better. This unique guide full of helpful visual tools will help you simplify any problem and take steps towards the right decision. So the decision book, something a little bit different. And so it's not, you know, about writing necessarily, but it's kind of uh, full of a bunch of different life hacks that might be useful in your life or as a gift for somebody because it's a cute little uh, gift book, I think as well. Um, so there you go. So all you need to do is go to writerscenter.com.au slash win to enter entries close on the 16th of October uh, and that's writercenter.com.au slash win all right <laughs> Al are you ready for the word of the week <laughs> well according to Damon Lord I should have a coffee mug that says I was born ready Val <laughs> that's right I'm so going to get that mug. Thank you for the suggestion, Damon. Much appreciated. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. All right. I'm so glad you were born ready, Al, because so this week's word of the week is bardolatry. That's bardolatry. B-A-R, yes, B-A-R-D-O-L-A-T-O-R-Y, bardolatry. So do you know what bardolatry means? I have no idea, but I hope it has something to do with cocktails. Cocktails? How could it have something to do with cocktails? Well, it sounds like adulation of bars to me. Oh. Like, you know, bars. Yes, no? it could be. Yeah. Well, I didn't think of that. Yes, you could be a, a idolatry of bars. I thought also <laughs> it could be idolatry of the, you know, the band Bardo. <laughs> you know, Sophie Monk. Yeah, that Sophie Monk used to Sophie be. Monk is on your mind. You've been watching The Bachelorette, haven't you? <laughs> no. I have to say, fact. it's been fast. It what's been fascinating about that because I don't yeah. actually watch the show. I, I can't mm-hmm. cope with that or The Bachelor. But um, obviously, mm-hmm. it's very hard to escape it when you're on Twitter. And the love yeah. for Sophie Monk is oh, just no. fantastic. She has won oh. the hearts of a nation by being herself, which I think is terrific. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Anyway, um, where were we? <laughs> it's not about idolatry of Sophie Monk or Bardot. It is, in fact, now if you think about it, Al, and okay. think of B-A-R-D, mm. olatry, bard olatry, mm. it could be idolatry of a bard who mm. is the bard in the literary <laughs> world. <laughs> Um, Shakespeare? Yes! Well done! You win the prize! Oh, God. (laughs) 
cue confetti. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it is actually used to describe an excessive adulation of Shakespeare because you know how there's some people who are just Shakespeareophiles or whatever the word might be and they will be quoting Shakespeare left, right and centre. It's a little bit strange but those people exist so they obviously suffer from bardolatry. They wouldn't think it's suffering though. No, they wouldn't. The rest of us suffer for them. Yes, exactly. From them, yeah. All right. All right. Well, that was a good one, Val. Lots of discussion there. I still think the cocktail <laughs> might be required, yeah, but anyway. that's not a bad one. Okay. Well, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Now, there's lots and lots of chatter at the moment in the podcast community and in the general community about the upcoming month of NaNoWriMo. And, of course, that's National Novel Writing Month. It's actually not just national, it's worldwide Novel <laughs> Writing Month. Um, <clears throat> but uh, there's, you know, people who are gearing up for it, who are going to be, pl- who are planning to do NaNoWriMo. And one person who can give you the lowdown on some great techniques and great ways to tackle NaNoWriMo and also just writing in general is Grant Faulkner because he's the executive director of NaNoWriMo and he spoke with us uh, from his base in the San Francisco Bay Area about uh, writing in general but also what you can do to win NaNoWriMo. Thanks so much for joining us today, Grant. Yeah, thank you, Valerie. It's, it's nice to be here. Now, I am speaking to you from the future uh, right. because you're actually, I'm in Sydney and you're actually in San Francisco. Uh, what time is it over there? Have you, is it the d- day or night or where, where are you? It is 8.34 p.m. <laughs> As we're recording this, 8.34 p.m., about the sun is shining here in Sydney. And um, you, so you live in San Francisco, is that correct? I actually live in Berkeley, California, and that's okay. where our National Novel Writing Month offices are as well. But we're just across the bay from San Francisco, and I lived in San Francisco for a long, long time. So I consider it my home as well. Now, before we get on to NaNoWriMo, I want to just talk about your latest book, which is called Pep Talks for Writers, uh, 52 Insights and Actions to Boost Your Creative Mojo. Now, for those readers who haven't read the book yet, tell us what it's about. Yeah. um, You know, the idea for the book started... Um, I would talk to NaNoWriMo writers and they would tell me these amazing stories about the transformative experience that NaNoWriMo was for them and how they discovered themselves as writers um, and how they intended to keep writing year round, you know, all 12 months, not just National Novel Writing Month. But oftentimes people had hurdles in order to, to, to do that. And so I heard the story often enough that I wanted to write a book that would cover the whole year, hence 52 uh, essays. Um, and so the essays are really on a whole spectrum of, of issues uh, with being creative. And I, I, I feel like it's it's kind of like a weekly meditation or weekly reflection. I think everyone's going to read the book differently. Some people might read it in a day or two, and some people might read an essay a week or an essay whenever they think about it. But but that's, that's the goal of the book is to help be, people be creative and meet their writing goals year round. 
And I think that's an interesting point. It's how to help people be creative because as I was reading it, I know that, I mean, there's lots of fantastic advice for writers, but if really there's fantastic advice for anyone who's in any kind of creative pursuit, whether it's photography or art or, or creating whatever. And um, I was wondering how you, you came up with 52 because obviously there's 52 weeks in the year, presumably that's why you've chosen that yeah. number. How did you choose the 52 that made it into the book and were you either stretching to get to the 52 or did you have heaps and you had to whittle it down to 52? Uh, both. (laughs) (laughs) At times it was, yeah, it was difficult to come up with 52 and I definitely uh, tried out topics that didn't quite work and didn't make it into the 52. I wanted them to be 52 good essays, not just 52, just because of 52. Um, So yeah, at times it felt like a stretch, but now that the book is published, uh, I keep thinking about more essays that I want to write. So uh, I think there are a lot more topics out there to explore. There's just so many different sides to creativity. Um, when Can you share with us, say, some of your favorite pep talks from the book, like the ones that you think might be most effective for writers? Yeah, I think, um, well, th- there are different themes. And, and one of the themes is, I think, um, a a quality of being a successful writer that oftentimes doesn't get touched on enough. I think there are a lot of books out there, especially for fiction writers about how to write great dialogue or how to write great suspense or how to plot your novel, all great topics. Uh, but the thing that makes, um, any fiction writer successful is showing up every day to write, um, setting goals and deadlines and being accountable to those goals and deadlines. So there's a kind of boot camp aspect to it, you know, about what it really takes to dive in and succeed as a writer. Um, but, but, you know, the, the boot camp aspects, only one aspect of being a writer. I think there's also just the living life as, as, as an artist and a creator and how to be creative, you need to be, you know, um, experiencing so many different things and experimenting with your creative process. And so there are a lot of chapters on just that, on how to, how to experiment with your creative process. Um, but I think also, um, there's, there's something else about being creative and being a successful writer. And it's recognizing those moments of when you need to get up, um, and, and take a walk or Mm. be played or be totally absurd. Um, or, or, or how to develop a writing community. This is something that I think most writers don't, uh, revere enough is the Mm. powers of being in a writing community. So I, I really do try to touch on all different aspects of, of what it means to be a successful writer and, 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 and also how to think of your daily life as a, as a, as a creative exercise and a creative moment. Mm. Now this book, as you say, it's a series of essays and some of them are, uh, you know, about, uh, you, you talk about things that have happened in your own life based on personal experience. Others are observations and, and really thoughts. How did you, you know, when you sat down to write each essay, did you have a, a structure in mind so that each essay would follow some kind of you know, theme or goal or were you trying to achieve with each one? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, per my previous answer, I, I was looking for, to, to um, provide a balance of different topics. 
Um, and so that, so that people could really, I mean, I view, I view, um, I don't think anyone's creative process should be a static finished thing. I think everyone's creative process should be an ongoing experiment. And so that's another principle of the book is guiding people into how to take, um, different creative experiments. And, you know, I mean, cause we're always changing as people and as creators. And I just think, uh, you don't want to be static. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of modulation in the book. Uh, it's not just a one tone book. I hope that mm-hmm. there's four, four, five, six different kind of tones to it. Um, and and per a structure to the essays, I think the only structure is that they're not long. Um, yeah. They're they're meant to be very brief, very easily digestible. You know, you can really read um, each chapter in I don't know five or ten minutes certainly. Mm. I think that uh, one of the things about this is. It's actually, even though when you read it, it's it just flows really well and it's it's interesting. It's it's very practical as well, and I know that of course there was the other big book about creativity that came out uh, um, well a couple of years ago. And yeah, you know Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, and some right. people love it, and yeah, I loved it. It was a great book, uh, but also some people who were seeking a more practical instruction in a sense felt that it didn't have that even though it was a beautiful read um and i feel that this book has a lot of even though it doesn't come across as you know instructional there's so much practical stuff that you can take away when you um decided on each pep talk I almost feel that pep talk is 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 not even quite the right word for it because they're more than just yeah. pep talks. Um, uh, was the practical aspect a really important part of it, or did you just kind of this is how what I feel like writing now? Yeah, thank you so much for for asking that question because I think it's really important. Uh, the 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 book is really more. Um, it's, it's not just a meditation on creativity or a reflection on creativity. It's meant, you know, we at NaNoWriMo, it's all about taking action. Um, that's a principle of National Novel Writing Month. And so each chapter um, closes with, with an exercise um, and an exercise for, for a person. that the, It's not the kind of exercise that's like, oh, I'll do that this year or next year. It's meant to be very immediate, like I can do that, the exercise this week. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely, um, I, I, I love Elizabeth Gilbert's, um, book. I read it myself and, uh, I think, I think your characterization was interesting. I hadn't heard that before, but, but yeah, um, I think that is, is a differentiator with this book is it, it, it is meant to lead people into actions after they read each chapter. So you're the executive director of National Novel Writing Month. How long have you been in that role and what do you actually do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> you actually don't really want to know what I do. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll touch on it. Uh, I've been executive director. This is my sixth year. Uh, it's been the most important job of my my life. It's taught me more about uh, nearly everything. Um, really? It's, yeah, it's taught me. I mean, it's just every day is a stretch goal. Uh, there's this huge, huge writing community of NaNoWriMo. You know, people think of us as a as a one month event, but we're so much more than that. We have programming that goes year round, and uh, we serve nearly five hundred thousand writers around the world, including those in Australia um, and Berkeley. Um, and so, I I was a very solitary writer before I um 
came to NaNoWriMo. And, and that community that I've been involved with has just been so galvanizing and inspiring and, uh, and so helpful and so many, um, un, you know, ways that I couldn't have expected, you know, and so that's one huge benefit of the job. But, but what I do again, this is just going to be so horribly boring. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, an executive director, it is, it is a, a really tough job. Um, you know, we are a small nonprofit. We have eight staff people. Again, we serve like 500,000 people around the world. Um, so I have to really focus on, on keeping the organization alive and surviving and thriving, which involves, um, you know, developing our programming, uh, overseeing our staff, uh, thinking about a strategic vision, working with our board, fundraising, of course, is huge. Um, but also, I think just just uh, a nonprofit is different than a for profit because our you know our our goal, our mission, our impact is to to help people be creators. You know, so I have to always be in touch with the people we're working with, uh, which includes uh, four thousand schools that we support through our Young Writers Program, nearly a hundred thousand kids and teens who write, a thousand libraries. So there's just a lot of you know we have a huge reach. But we're still a small nonprofit and a small staff, so it's, it's just every day is a challenge, but it's also a, a glorious, wonderful challenge. So just in case there are some newbie writers who are listening to this and maybe have been living under a rock, can you just quickly explain to people the concept of NaNoWriMo? I'm so glad you asked that because sometimes <laughs> I – because sometimes I take it for granted that everyone knows what NaNoWriMo is, uh, because we have we've been around since 1999, um, and we've grown astronomically every year. And what it is, it's many things. Uh, it, uh, at its most simple level, it's a challenge to write 50,000 words in 30 days. And the reason that challenge exists is that so many people, you know, have a novel, a story they want to write. But they either wait for that moment of inspiration to strike them or they say that, oh, someday I'm going to write that novel. Someday when my life situation is better and I have money and time or whatever it is. But someday rarely happens. And so we exist to ignite people's creativity, help them reach their creative potential by writing a novel in 30 days, by by you know joining in this amazing, encouraging, and empowering community, um, and and in the end, uh, we you know we really do believe that everyone has a story to tell, and everyone's story matters. So that's why we're free. We want to open the gates of storytelling and include really the whole world, uh, because we believe that when people are creators, when they can tell their story and put their voice into the world, like they are change agents, they change the world. And so it's not just about getting your, your novel published. It's about being a creator. And tell us about the first time you wrote in NaNoWriMo. Do you remember that? And did you Absolutely. Uh, win? <laughs> yeah, I, I did win. Um, I joined NaNoWriMo. I had, I, Chris Beatty, the founder of NaNoWriMo, he was an acquaintance of mine. He was a good friend of a friend of mine. And I decided that I had been writing for so long that I wasn't sure if my creative process had just kind of happened to me or if I had decided on it. And so I decided to do something to really shake it up, which was NaNoWriMo. And I discovered that in writing, you know, so vigorously and so quickly with, with just progress of the story in mind that I took more creative risks. And I've always been one who actually doesn't like to write a rough draft. I love 
planning a novel. I love revising a novel, but writing the rough draft is the most painful part. <laughs> and so NaNoWriMo helped me get that rough draft out. And it helped me get it out in a way that I, I was kind of a ponderous, precious writer. I would write that first sentence and first paragraph and first chapter, and I'd go over and over and over it again until I could move forward. And I didn't realize that that, that was kind of a, a way of being, um, well, stuck in a way. Um, the main thing is to get the story out and then to, to do all those kind of, you know, refining revisions afterwards. Um, so I just found NaNoWriMo to be a wonderful creative experiment that, that, that I keep, you know, experimenting with actually. When did you know that you wanted to be a writer? Like, were you really into it when you were at school, when you were little, or did it come later in life? It came very early because I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't want to be a writer. Really? Or I did didn't write. Yeah. I might, even before I knew how to write, I remember uh, I was sitting in my bedroom reading a picture book or probably looking at the pictures. And I, I was, I got this whole crazy idea for a series of, of <laughs> books. And I, I went running down to tell my mom and uh, she was on the phone with a friend <laughs> and she still might be on the phone with that friend. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm joking. My mom's been very supportive, but, um, but no, I, I, I wanted to write. I just can't remember any time when I didn't want to write. Um, my mom later bought me this really wonderful antique, um, roll top desk for kids. And that's where I wrote my first story. Um, I, of course, you know, the thing with being a writer is that it's, it's hard you know, there's not just, uh, you don't look in the want ads and be like, Oh, we need a, a novel writer, you know? Um, <laughs> so like, wow, I'll apply for that job. Um, but yeah, so I, I, you know, like I tried on a variety of different careers. And in fact, when I was in college, I was deciding whether to be an econ major or an English major. And I, uh, very fortunately had a semester abroad in France where I, just sat around in, in cafes and read novels, uh, mainly oh. about my expat authors in the twenties. And I was like, this is the life for me. Um, <laughs> and I, I did, I did the field of economics, a great service by not majoring in economics and came back and became an English major. And, you know, I decided I wanted to be a writer at 20 and I never looked back. So yeah, it's always been part of who I am. Wow. So with this book, um, as you say, there are 52 essays, um, but and they come together in this um, wonderful, beautifully readable and very useful book. When you were actually writing it, tell me about um, that process because it's not like you have, you know, a plot and a narrative arc that you need to follow. Did you kind of yeah. think, I'm going to write 52 and then – and then put them in order later or I'm going to write one a week and it'll take me a year or I'll write two a week and it'll take me six months. Tell us about the time frame and the process. Yeah. It was interesting to me, to me on, uh, in the aspect of like I have never written a nonfiction book before. I've written plenty of nonfiction articles or blog posts. Uh, I worked as a journalist for a number of years, but I'd never done a whole book. And so uh, one of the best parts of the process was actually the book proposal. And my agent was very demanding. Mm. And so I put together a very careful and very lengthy and deep book proposal. I think the book proposal itself was 65 pages. And wow. it included, it included uh, an outline for all 52 um, essays. I mean, I could change them afterwards, but basically all 52 were relatively set. 
um, in the book proposal. And then I wrote, I don't know, I wrote, I, I wrote a, a summary of each chapter and then I wrote uh, at least six to eight sample chapters. So by the time wow. the book was, book was purchased and I signed the contract, you know, a certain, it was done. I mean, a lot of it was done. And so that really helped. Um, so I, I didn't write it. I mean, I can't even remember how long this took to write, to tell you the truth. Probably about a year, uh, maybe a little longer from, from book proposal to final draft. I can't really remember. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I did write more than 52 essays. And I, I did, uh, you know, change the order when I was working with my editor, which was also a wonderful experience. He was a wonderful editor. Um, but yeah, that book proposal, it was very, uh, it was a grueling process, but I'm so glad that my agent just required a lot of it because it gave me a jump start. So this is a nonfiction book and you usually write fiction. So apart from yeah. this book, can you tell us about how you fit in your writing? Because you have a day job as, you know, as executive director of NaNoWriMo. How do you fit in your writing into your life? Do you carve out specific times? Do you just write when you can or does it depend on the project that you're working on? It's, it's all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a very skilled. Uh, scattered writer in the sense that I work on a number of different projects, whether it's a nonfiction book or articles that I'm, I'm writing or fiction I'm working on, which includes uh, flash fiction. I also have this side project, 100 Word Story, and I publish a collection of 100 Word Stories. Um, I have a novel and a short story collection with my agent. Um, but to, to directly answer your question, uh, I try to wake up super early. And so I'm usually up at four or five in the morning, which gives oh, me wow. an hour, hour to two. I know I'm, I'm sort of I, I used to be I used to be cursed with bad sleep. Ha- and, and now it's a blessing because it gives me the time I need to write because I also have children and there's just not much time in the day. And I, I'm, a, I'm a wreck at night. I, I can't um, I can't do anything like write. Um, so I try to do it in the morning and I generally wake up for, you know, and get an hour or two in every day. I also find that as a working parent that we need to, um, re, re re-envision what our creative time is. I think too often when, I mean, before I had children, I would only write in, in these glorious expanses of time, you know, (laughs) during the morning on weekends or, you know, just when I felt my creativity was at this, you know, kind of peak and, what I uh, realized, I mean, as a working parent, I realized that I rarely have that kind of time. And so I have to fit my writing into the nooks and crannies of my day mm. and have to seize those moments, whether it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You know, in 10 or 15 minutes, you can write two or 300 words, perhaps. And mm. if you write 300 words a day, that's uh, over 100,000 words a year, which is a big novel. And mm. so I think as, as, as working parents, we need to uh, perhaps uh, change our creative process to fit the constraints of our life, but those constraints can also be like a wonderful creative opportunities. Yes, it's one of the things that you've mentioned in the book too. Um, so you are co-founder of uh, 100 Word Story, which people can find at 100, the number, 100wordstory.org, uh, which is flash fiction. Tell us a little bit about that and why you like flash fiction. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of I call myself a schizophrenic writer because I write you know, these little 100-word miniature stories and then these big, long novels. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was, I think it was about six or seven years ago, uh, a friend, uh, a father of a good friend of mine had published uh, 
a memoir that was a 100, 100 word stories. And I was quite taken by it, uh, both as a way to write one's memoir, uh, because it, because it focused on all those, those tiny moments of life that might not make it into a big sweeping grand memoir, but they're very telling and very important moments. And so instead of uh, writing a memoir via hundred word stories, I, I chose to write, write fiction. And it was the same principle really, um, that by uh, condensing the story, by writing a story within a fixed compositional lens, those constraints, kind of like a haiku or, or certain forms of poetry, they bought, you know, it brought out a different type of creativity that was really valuable to me. Uh, every word matters in a hundred word story, every sentence you have to um, develop your skills of characterization through through gestures, um, through fleeting glances. Uh, the stories are, are are told through 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 hints and suggestiveness, and and through what you leave out. So it's a it's a different type of storytelling, and I found it really appealing and really meaningful. And I've learned lessons from writing hundred word stories uh, that uh, that I apply to my novels now. Mm. So you seem to have really diverse interests when it comes to writing, whether it's flash fiction or long form, you know, books or, you know, as a journalist, uh, nonfiction articles. Well, if you don't have a deadline on a project, because obviously it's something like when you've got to deliver a manuscript to a publisher and you've agreed to do that, you'll have a deadline, right? If you don't have a deadline on your various uh, projects, do you – self-impose one or how do you keep the momentum going in that do you try to achieve a certain volume of output or how does that work i more and more i i i use a deadline for almost everything especially after experiencing nanowrimo it's a really powerful thing to have a goal in the deadline i think without one uh projects can kind of meander and get lost and you can kind of miscalculate the project the progress you're you're making uh, I had this rare opportunity this summer uh, to go on a writing residency for 30 days in July, oh, and wow. and I I knew that that it's a it's a weird thing to get an opportunity like that because it's very easy, strangely enough, to to fritter away the time mm -hmm. or to not be writing as much as you really should be, and so I made sure that I had a daily goal every day. Um, kind of like NaNoWriMo, I needed to, I mean, I was writing a first draft and so I really wanted to get as much of that first draft done as possible in July. And so I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do have, I mean, the only thing I, that I can say is that a lot of my deadlines are, they're, they're out they're you know, they're, they are publishing deadlines that are kind of assigned to me. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of writing that I'll kind of squeeze in sometimes and won't be able to finish it. Um, so some some things do kind of linger, but generally a deadline is my friend. At, at NaNoWriMo, we say uh, a goal and a deadline is a creative midwife. <laughs> yes. And so with the residency that you had in July and you gave yourself a daily goal, first of all, um, was this project for a particular publishing deadline and also what was your daily goal? Yeah, so it was. It was a new novel. Uh, my agent uh, gave her blessing and thought it was a great idea. So I plunged in. I, I, I gave her actually two or three different novel ideas and options. Uh, and my daily goal was 3,500 words a day. And oh, that's so, a lot. 
It is a lot. I mean, I, I needed, I mean, I, like I said, this was a rare time for me to get a month to write. That's just crazy. I don't know when that will happen again. And so I needed to maximize that. I needed to like, you know, I, I didn't quite finish the, the first draft of the novel, but I got so much of it done that it really yeah. jumpstarted it. Yeah. Wow. And how does that work when you get 30 days to go somewhere and you've got kids? How does that work on a practical level? Because I know so many of our listeners will want to know this. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's super tough. Like I said, I mean, that, the practical level is what is will be tough to to uh, pull off again. Um, I mean, my wife is a writer. We're both working parents. Um, my son is sixteen. My daughter's twelve. Um, you know, we we somehow. I mean, we both support each other as much as we can to make this this happen. I mean, writing is a is a huge thing in our lives. Uh, so we. I mean, I think teamwork. Um, mm. between my wife and I, uh, hopefully she'll get to do it next summer. She, she, before I did it, she went for two weeks on her own writing retreat. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just tough. I can I, I don't know if I have any magic recipe for people, except that sometimes you just have to make it happen. Sometimes you have to accept that your house is going to get messy or, yeah. that you're, or, you know, you got to give yourself permission to get away from all those shoulds of life, all those practical concerns, because otherwise it won't happen. So whether it's a month off or a week off or a weekend off, I mean, my wife and I have this thing where because we know it's so hard to get that time off, we will we will give each other like a long weekend to go on a retreat. And so I'll go an hour, two hours from our home and stay in a hotel for three or four days and just like go crazy with extreme writing. And again, that's, that's more doable, I think, and more probably your listeners can, can do that. Uh, mm. But that's a great way to jumpstart projects, you know? Um, I love that extreme writing. So if you go away for three or four days to a hotel, tell, tell me about that. First of all, how many words do you think you would end up with at the end of the extreme writing adventure? But also, um, is it really full on, like from the moment you wake up to, like, do you order room service and hold yourself up? And how does that well, work? When I, yeah, when I do it, it's a masochistic affair. Um, mm -hmm. I, I wake up at four or five and I start the coffee going. And uh, I, I mean, when I did it last, it was when I was working on the book proposal for this book and I was working on a novel at the same time. And I wrote for, I don't know, probably 10 hours. You know, it was crazy. I was like very tired. At the end of Straight? it. Straight? Uh, Twin hours with well, that, like stopping for meals maybe in the oh, bathroom? I would, <laughs> I, I would stop for a meal and I would take the occasional walk because I think those are good for your creativity. And I'm actually a roaming writer, so I might write for a couple hours in the hotel room. I might go out to a cafe and write for a couple hours oh, there. Right. I like I like changes of scenery, so I'm not totally masochistic. But mm -hmm. I, my, you know, if I have three or four days away from the family, I'm going to get, I'm going to maximize my production. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, but, but that said, I would find, I mean, for me, the evenings are a wind down time. And so I would go have a nice dinner by this little river where I was and I'd have a beer and I might go to a movie and I would replenish myself and then I would wake up at four the next morning and pour a cup of coffee and do it again. So typically, what? How many words would you get out of one of those weekends? Gosh, uh, well, I, that 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 weekend I didn't measure the words because I was working on an, I was working on the revision of a novel, and then I was working on my book proposal, so it wasn't so much word count as more hours. Um, right. So I, I so I put in a, I, I was putting in a good ten hours a day, certainly maybe twelve to fifteen. Jeez. So will you be doing NaNoWriMo this year yourself? Absolutely. 
Yes, <laughs> that is uh, that is the best perk of my job is that I get the opportunity to write a novel every year. And the the number one excuse I hear from people is they say I don't have enough time to write a novel, and I. I also don't feel like I have enough time to write a novel in November, but you can do it. I mean, that's why I feel like I have to role model that. And one thing I do is in the month of October, like next week, I'm going to do this. I go on a time hunt, which means I keep track of my time in 15 minute increments for the whole week. So I see how much time I'm spending on social media. I see how much time I'm, I'm, I'm watching Netflix. Um, I see how much time I walk my dog. And I look for ways to fit in two to three hours of writing a day so that I can succeed during NaNoWriMo. I love so that. What did you call it? A, what did you call a it? A time a, what? A time hunt. A time hunt. Hunt. And that, and, oh, okay. Yeah, and, and that means, you know, the, the premise is, is that we all have time in our lives. We just don't recognize we have time. We think we're busy and we are busy. But we also have time we have that we can use uh, to to, in, in different ways. And if we want to prioritize cre- creativity for a month, we have to really prioritize it, which means cutting some things out. So I, I think like doing any big act of creativity, you have to learn to say no. And that, that's the hardest thing for a person like me to learn. So you have to say no to, the, mm. to a dinner party or whatever it is, a movie. You have to say like, I am writing a novel this month, so this takes priority. So I have to say no. And generally people will understand and support you once you tell them that. And so with this NaNoWriMo this year, do you already have the idea and uh, of the book? Do you already have that mapped out in your head? And and for those people who like the idea of NaNoWriMo but haven't got any idea, what are your suggestions for them? Yeah, so uh, for me – uh, by this point, I generally like to have an idea. I love to spend the month of October just kind of mulling over the idea, letting it marinate, letting ideas percolate, writing some things down. Um, I don't like to write with an outline. I don't like to just start from scratch. I like to find that happy middle ground. So that's that's what I'm doing now. And I love uh, writing uh, one novel uh, every November and then having that, you know, kind of completed 50,000 words that I can then hopefully revise it at, at another time. And so for people who maybe don't have an idea now or haven't done NaNoWriMo before, we have uh, a nano, what we call nano prep, a whole season where we're providing resources and webcasts and tweet chats and blog posts, all sorts of things to help people uh, succeed during NaNoWriMo. So uh, oftentimes people sign, sign up for NaNoWriMo on October 31st and they do it. And sometimes they have they have no idea for a story. They just want to do it and they start. And we've even had people sign up uh, in November, November 7th or November 10th and still complete a novel. So I guess I would sell, say to people, don't limit yourself. Uh, the main thing is, is to, to sign up and write. And sometimes your first NaNoWriMo is kind of a practice NaNoWriMo, just kind of see what it is, and then you'll succeed uh, another time. I can't tell you how many people have told me that they've failed NaNoWriMo, and they'll say, I only wrote 10,000 words, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you didn't only write 10,000 words, you wrote 10,000 words in a month, and if you do that every month, that's 120,000 words a year, that's huge. Yes. you know, they're, they're, you know, I mean, the main thing I want people to do is to not, not put obstacles in front of themselves, to just dive in and write and um, do their best. Wonderful. And where can people sign up to NaNoWriMo? 
uh, nanorimo.org. So that's N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O, National Novel Writing Month. That's the acronym. It's kind of a weird one. But yeah, nanorimo.org. And it's free. Nothing to yeah. lose. You can do and it, we'll- Valerie. Of course. <laughs> and uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Now, finally, I just want to circle back to your book, Pep Talks. Yeah. What do you hope people who read this book leave with or end up doing? I really want people to be empowered as writers and creators. I think that too often people think that other people are writers and they aren't They aren't fully writers or they're not real writers because they haven't published. You are a writer because you write. Um, we are uh, – every human is a creator and a creative type. And I think – I oftentimes think of this Pablo Picasso quote, which I can't say word for word, but he basically says every child's an artist – but the challenge is how to be an artist once we're adults. And it really pains me to see people uh, lose their creativity and, and, and put their creativity, diminish it, and make it secondary or, or even lower than that in their lives. So uh, I want them – I hope that people think of themselves as creators and, and experiment and, and do big things like writing a novel or, or other big creative acts. So, I mean as you said at the beginning of this, this is – the book is – it's for writers, but it's not exclusively for writers. It's really for anyone who wants to live a creative life. Wonderful. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Grant. Thank you, Valerie. I really enjoyed this. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting. There you go, Grant Faulkner. It's a very interesting guy. I, he's it, like the whole NaNoWriMo phenomenon is just incredible. Like I remember yes. first coming across it, you know, when I was online, the you know, the first time when I was setting my blog up and everything, you know, eight or nine years ago and uh, just hearing about it and it was a lot smaller then mm. than it is now and just every year it seems to grow and grow and grow and grow and yes. if you just kind of look at the chatter about NaNoWriMo on social media you would just imagine that everyone in the whole world is writing a novel <laughs> I know really you would I imagine know, that so wouldn't you? I mean there's a, there, I know so many people out there who have no idea what NaNoWriMo even is but <laughs> online the whole world is writing a novel. Yes. Now mm. you're doing NaNoWriMo, aren't you, this year? Ah, uh, yes, I think so. I haven't signed up for it as yet, but in my head I have allocated myself to be doing that. I um, um, I am, I go into it with the knowledge that I'm not going to win because I have a couple of, uh, you know, big trips and things on in November that are just going mm. to be make it not feasible really. Yeah. Um, but I do I, – I still – I still join up every year. I've, I've done it for the last eight years or so, um, mm. and I do join up every year simply for the fact that it usually kickstarts me into a new project, you know. And I've had, I think, four 
of my NaNoWriMo projects published, if not five. So, wow, that's so good. I know, I know. So I do use it as a very good drafting tool to actually, you know, push me, knowing that by the time I get to December, I won't have finished the novel necessarily, but I'll be, you know, I will have made some inroads. And I think um, that that is worth the price of admission and the public humiliation. And so which of your which of your books, which of the, you know, started off in NaNoWriMo? Well, what, uh, so Mapmaker Chronicles 1 and 3 mm-hmm. and 4 and Book of Secrets 1, right. I think. Yeah, right. Fantastic. I'm just well, sorry. Yeah, I, I can't – I'm not um, – I'm not very good at keeping track of exactly where I do things. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was those – those four. Yeah. yeah. Well, great ROI for NaNoWriMo then. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. All right. I, but I know lots of people have done that. Like Anna Spargo Ryan, you know, who is a fantastic literary author, has mm. has had two of her NaNoWriMo pro, uh, projects published as well. Um, and she, I know she's planning to do it again. She she does it every year as well because it, it's the same premise. It yes. just kickstarts the process, you know. If I don't think you can go into this thinking that you are going to end up with a complete polished draft of anything at the end yeah. of it, but mm. what you will have is a fantastic start, which I think is what the key to the whole thing is. Yeah, and a great community because everyone else is doing it so you don't feel mm. very isolated. That's All right. right, brilliant. We're almost to the end of this week's episode. What have you got in the coming week, Al? Uh, well, I'm actually, this is quite exciting. I'm actually proofreading um, at the moment. I received the proofs in the post this week. The uh, the Book of Answers, which is book two of the Adaban Cipher oh, series, yes. follow up from the Book of Secrets, and it will be published in March 2018. So I have the proofs on my desk Ooh. and I am girding my loins for the process of going through that one word at a time. Oh, you haven't started yet? Well, I've read the first page. Okay. But I'm not actually, yeah. They're not due for a few weeks yet. So, you know, being right. me, I don't tend to, you know, start immediately. <laughs> I have to think about it. I have to psych Fair myself enough. into it. Yeah. Fair enough. What All about right. You? Oh, what am I doing? Goodness me. I am, uh, I've had a really busy couple, a uh, busy week and um, I'm still in recovery mode. I did a big uh, corporate gig yesterday on um, how to build your profile with a group of, um, you know, really lovely people. And um, I, it's put me a little bit behind on some artwork that I said that I would create for someone. Oh, wow. So every spare moment will now be put into creating that artwork. Um, I'm also, I also need to create more artwork because I'm now going to be, uh, well, my lovely, lovely bookshop, local bookshop, I'm creating literary themed art for them and they will be featuring it in their store. What? So, yeah, that's exciting. You're incredible. I just find it so <laughs> fascinating that you've just gone from I think I'll try painting to here's my next commission. Do you find, like, is it like writing in the sense that when you're writing something that's for yourself, it has a totally different feel than to when you're actually producing it for someone else? Yes, 100%. And what I've discovered, because I was getting stuck, and I, like the artist's equivalent of writer's block, or, or <gasps> which we know is not, not a thing, we both disagree with it, but no, um, no, I but realised. 
Yeah. Yes. The pressure of it can be hard, yeah. It, it can. So what I realised is that I, I finally figured out how to, you know, what the way to get around that, and that is I need two projects on the go and one is a commission and yeah. one is purely just for me and then I don't get stuck. And literally yes. while I'm waiting for the paint to dry on one, I am doing the other. And so it works out really well. And uh, so the bookshop has uh, my first piece, which is inspired by a novella by Doris Lessing, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, inspired by the setting in a, no, in a novella by Doris Lessing called The Grandmothers, which mm-hmm. I only read uh, quite recently. It's really, really good. Um, that eventually got made into – there was a screen adaptation in the movie Adoration starring Naomi Watts and oh. Robin Wright. Uh, um, and so, yes, they now have the first piece, so I need to also do the second piece because wow. there's, um, they're waiting for a second piece. So, yeah, that should be fun. Yeah, but I, I like that approach though too and, and that's a, an approach that I've long used with writing is mm. to be able to mix things up, to have, you know, work that you're doing, you know, work that you're doing, paid work um, and then work that's just for yourself and being able to switch between projects, long-term projects, short-term projects yeah. um, is the key to not having writer's block, I think. Yeah, or definitely. Artist book. Yeah, or artist book, creative go, book. Go, go, right. you Val. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks, Al. Anyway, where do we find you online? You will find me at my website, alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, connect with me on Facebook. I'm the Valerie Koo that lives in Sydney. And, of course, you'll find both of us in the podcast community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. And it will be great to have you in there. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.